You're now listening to the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Brandon Hall and Thomas Castelli here today with Mark Mahoen. Mark has spent over 25 years as a contractor and the last 12 years as a realtor, flipper, and landlord in Southern California. Mark and his wife, Yoko, have flipped over 500 homes and now own over 40 units of their own. In this episode, we discuss how Mark bounced back from bankruptcy in 2009 to build a real estate flipping business that funds the acquisition of his rental properties. We also discuss why rental real estate investing alone won't make you rich and speculate on the current state of the market. Before we dive right into today's episode, we do want to remind everybody about the Tax Smart Real Estate Investor Facebook community. There are currently over 2,300 members and counting with a ton of great conversations on real estate investing and taxes taking place right now with real estate investors of all levels. To join, visit facebook.com slash group slash tax smart investors or simply search tax smart real estate investors on Facebook to join today. We'll see you there, but for right now, we're going to dive right into today's episode. Hey, Mark, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Would you be able to give our listeners a little information on your background and how you got involved with real estate? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was never involved in real estate before probably 2009-ish, around there, uh, when I started working for the banks doing realtors. So I really, it was one of those things I just stumbled into. I didn't like have this passion for real estate. It wasn't like, oh my God, I want to be a real estate guy. I was a contractor that lost everything in the recession, you know, including my cars and they hadn't taken so long to repossess a house. I would have lost that too, but I still have it today. Thank goodness. And I couldn't find work. You know, when the recession hit, we lost all of our contracts. People didn't want room additions. They didn't want landscaping, any of that stuff. So after struggling and bouncing around the bottom for a while, we kind of got a, a thing going with the banks where we'd go in and repo houses, change the locks, do the repairs. And it's called property preservation. And I noticed that there was a lot of agents driving around in awful nice cars. And it turns out I got to know a few of them and they were actually buying some of the houses. And of course, I never, I never really entertained that thought. Just sometimes you really don't think there's any way out. And, and I, I, the thought of buying real estate was just ridiculous to me at that time. But um, real estate in of itself seemed kind of interesting. So I talked to a few people. Someone turned me on to a, an investment club. I was lucky enough to sit down next to a guy. And this was, I mean, it's a, it's a long story. I'm really trying to abbreviate it. Uh, my wife had kind of gone back to Japan with our youngest son to get away from the crap going on. My wife's Japanese, her parents are there. And I was kind of left alone, broke, not knowing what to do. And I went to this investment club meeting, sat down next to a guy that was flipping mobile homes and a light bulb went off in my head for some strange reason. And I went out and bought a mobile home. Uh, like three or four days later, I hit up all the mobile home parks and somebody stupidly sold me one because they thought I really knew what I was doing. And I bought it for a hundred dollars. And that was the start of our, you know, our investment career as it were. Wow. Wow. Uh, that's incredible. hundred dollars. I couldn't even imagine. I don't even know if you can buy a mailbox for a hundred dollars anymore, but <laughs> it really, truly, it truly wasn't worth more than a hundred dollars uh, at the time. Really. So, but, yeah, I have skills. Well, okay. So. so 
So at the beginning, uh, before we started recording, you kind of yes. said that you went through this bankruptcy and you said that it's not as bad as it seems. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by that? Because bankruptcy, to me, it seems extremely stressful, probably shameful, oh, probably emotional. But like, how do you how do you get through it? And, and what do you mean when you say it's not as bad as as it seems? Okay, the, the bankruptcy itself is as bad as it seems. Okay. Um, <laughs> it is. It truly it truly is because, you know, pretty much put your life on hold for 10 years. I know there's going to be people that have comments on that. It's like, no, you can do this and do that. You can fix your head. Guys, seriously, you can't get a loan. So we had to invest in real estate for 10 years without any bank financing. And uh, that was tricky. It's still tricky today, 12 years later. But the thing I meant by that was, it wasn't so bad because even though it was the lowest point of my life, I fondly look back at that now, not fondly. Hmm. Let me find a better word. I look back on it and I think to myself, you know, if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. I'd still be where I was before the recession hit, which was living a comfortable lifestyle in debt up to my eyeballs. But we were happy. I mean, we, we were happy, but I'm 58 and there's no way in hell without a pension or retirement fund that you can live happily, you know, at my age without having something put away. And so I was naive and I'm, and, and if it hadn't happened, I wouldn't have done what I did. I'd still be doing the same thing. Probably. I'm assuming. Makes a lot of sense. If that That's makes good. any sense. Yeah, it does okay. make a lot of sense. Cause I, I feel the same way sometimes about certain things that happen in my life. Like you had to go through that, challenge to get to a place that, you know, when you look back at it, you're happy you went through because you're in a better place and maybe you, you would have yeah. been in if had you not, if that makes sense. So yeah. 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 And only the people that have gone through it and got out of it can understand it. It's the old um, adage, you know, you eventually, if you're digging a hole and you're just digging along and you're getting worse off and worse off and worse off, eventually you got to throw the shovel out, right? You got to stop digging. And that's exactly what happened to me. I had dug such a deep hole and had lost so much um, and almost lost my wife and everything that was near and dear to me. And I finally just said that was that just the, the catalyst was that one weird little thing going to that investment club. It was called the investment club for women. Right. So, I mean, I shouldn't have even been there in the first place, but I got invited, went, sat down next to that guy. And it just I don't want to say he changed my life because that's too simple. But it was a series of things and just a series of failures over like a two-year period that changed it. And that was just the tipping point. It was like, either I do this or, you know, who knows what I would have done. I don't even know. Probably don't even want to talk about that part. But So, so what are you doing differently now? Uh, you know, going through this bankruptcy experience, what are you doing differently these days to ensure that you don't have to go through that again? Good question. That's a really good question because I see so much of what I'm going to talk about happening right now. And, and I do want to talk about that. And I know you guys have your agenda, but I would love to talk about that a little bit because it's a public service. Please do. So I, I live within my means. I live within my means. I'm the white t-shirt, blue jean guy. I mean, if you look at all my stuff, that's what I am. And that's what I want to be known as. I drive a pickup truck. I live in, I live in a nice house. It's, it's expensive as hell, but just because it's gone up in value, it's not because I paid that much for it. Um, I've stayed relatively the same over the past 12 years. I've not changed my lifestyle a lot, a little, you know, I, I go to nicer restaurants and take better trips and 
own a vacation home in Hawaii. And, you know, I mean, I've got some stuff that I didn't have before, but that principle of living within my means or well below them is, is something that is probably the most important lesson that I learned. And I don't ever want to go back to being massively in debt and just on the edge of broke. Now, what is massively in debt? Because I think about this sometimes, right? If I go buy mm-hmm. a million dollar mm-hmm. apartment complex that has a pretty good debt coverage ratio uh, from a cash flow perspective, mm-hmm. and I put 20% down, so I take an 800K loan, am I putting myself massively in debt? Um, that would all depend on how realistic you were with your numbers. There's seven ways to Sunday to run numbers on an apartment complex. And I do it a certain way and it's really conservative. So that just depends on how, you know, I find myself listening to people fooling themselves right now. They're going, oh, I got another one. And it's like, oh, Lord, tell me about it. And it's, oh, yeah, yeah, I got it for this. I'm going to burr it and I'm going to take money out and buy another one. And it's like, oh, boy, you know, I, I guess it's it's not having stupid debt, right, which is credit cards and and cars and things like that. And I have car debt. I have car debt only because I got it low enough that I can invest that money in something else because I invest. But if you're not investing and you're getting that car loan because you think, oh, well, you know, I'm only paying 3% on the car loan, I can get 7% in the stock market. But how many people really invest? I mean, they're not. They say that, but they don't do anything about it. So they're not really doing anything. So I play that game a little bit with myself. But for the most part, we carry no debt except for real estate debt low level debt or leverage on real estate is not it's debt but it's certainly good debt not bad debt right so something that throws off cash flow it's appreciating uh there's tax advantages to it which of course you guys are experts at not me that's great that's awesome debt up but don't be stupid about it and do what a lot of a lot of people are doing right now where they're they're pushing their numbers to make them work and they're bragging about how much they own they're looking at their door count more than they're looking at their debt ratios. And that's scary, right? I mean, we see a lot of that right now. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting interesting takeaway because you do see that a lot. We're we're, we're big on Facebook. We've got this Facebook group called Tax Smart Real Estate Investors. If you're listening, you should go join it. We've got about 2,300 people in it at this point, which is really cool. But there are a bunch of those Facebook groups out there that I mean, there, there, there's a couple dedicated certain strategies and you see them, that's all they push. It's just like how many units, how many doors, uh, but I, I like you, I want to see, yeah, but show me your P and L. I want to know what your, what your numbers actually look yeah. like at the end of the day after yeah. a 12 month or 24 month run. That's what I'm curious about. Cause I, I wanted the same thing about the whole, the, the burr strategy. And now this is me, I've deployed it one time. So I'm by no means an expert at this and, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm probably very ignorant and naive when it comes to the burr strategy specifically. I doubt, I doubt that. I doubt. Well, that. Okay. <laughs> okay. I just don't want anybody listening to be like, oh, I successfully run the burr strategy. You don't know what you're talking about, Brandon. <laughs> and, and I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about with the burr strategy because I've only done it once, but I do wonder about that, you know, it's the, okay, I'm going to go buy, I'm going to rehab, I'm going to cash out at this new appraised value, which is, it's a great strategy to create cash, to continue buying real estate. But, you know, conceivably, always in the back of my mind has been that debt load though. It's just the, yeah. I think what happens is it almost becomes competitive. And, you know, a lot of my contemporaries talk about the Burr method and I always tell people, you know, I, I don't 
I don't know if you remember Rick from real estate old school. He was a very close friend of mine. He passed away last year and we did a show. We do a show on Wednesday nights at five on my Instagram and, and we did it for a long time. Anyway, he always said, I've been doing the Burr method forever. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's just a twist on an old thing. You buy something, you fix it, you rent it out and then you refinance it. It's no, it's people use that term. Like it's a magic thing, like, but and, and it's fine. You know, I, I'm okay with that. But I think what happens is a lot of people take out as much as they can so they can go do it again. And I have a thing that I use called the 40% rule. And you guys may or may not agree with it, but that's okay. It works for me for 12 years. Um, if I'm going to buy a rental property, it has to cash flow after taking 40% of the rent for expenses, not including debt. So, I've got my debt plus the 40. So if it's $1,000, I'm taking $400 off the top for CapEx, management, utilities, property taxes, blah, 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 blah. And then I'm taking the debt off of it. So, I mean, you can see you're not left with a lot if you buy something today. So not a lot of properties are going to hit those numbers. So therefore, they don't work. Game over. And it makes it so simple when you're looking at a rental property just to have those numbers. You can do it in two minutes. You can analyze a property and go, okay, do I need to do a deeper dive on this? And if it doesn't, if it doesn't hit those numbers, then screw it. You walk away, just walk away. I was just That's calculating uh, one of my recent rental purchases and it does meet your rule. So I feel good. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to sell awesome. this thing. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> well, I'm not advising that necessarily, but uh, it's a good barometer, right? So yeah. it's a good barometer. And I don't live off my rental income by any stretch of the imagination. I do not. I live off of wholesaling. I live off of flipping. You know, I'm, I don't touch my rental income for the most part. I'd rather rather use that to pay down debt or uh, let it stack up or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't need to touch it right now. So this idea, you know, it's funny. I think you did an article on bigger pockets a year and a half ago or so. I think you were talking about the Burr method or something. I honestly, I actually was researching you guys this morning a little bit. (laughs) And I, I think it was something you wrote about how, People think that real estate is this get quick rich thing, get oh, get yeah. rich quick thing, and it's not. It takes a long time to do it. And there was a lot of I can't say any bad words here. I'm 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 very foul mouth, but I'll just keep it. I'll keep it clean. There was a lot of people that gave a lot of pushback on that. They didn't yeah. want to hear that. Oh, I made all my money on real estate. Yes, there are very few people I know that make a lot of. I make a lot of money on my rentals. I do, but I don't live on it. And I do it because I've been doing it for 12 years. So anyway, yeah, there's just so few people that really become super successful in real estate. And that's sad, but it's true. And and people tend to glom onto them. I mean, you look on Instagram and there's so many guys that look like they're killing it. And everybody thinks like, oh, I'm, I'm behind. I, I got to get on board. I got to do this birth thing and buy as yeah. many as I can. And really, there's very few people that are successful at real estate. There's some people that do well at it, but super successful, you know, 100 units plus, it's really rare. It's really rare. But really, quite frankly, you only need 20 to do what you want to do for most people. Yeah, that article that I wrote, it was back, I wrote it back in 2017, but they, they, Bigger Pockets keeps republishing it. And so it like moves the date up. And I guess yeah. they did it again recently. But the, the article is, um, Investing in rentals won't 
give you or won't make you massive wealth or something. Yeah. But this yes. will. I don't, yeah. But the whole the whole premise of the article was that investing in rentals is a great way to build wealth and preserve wealth. But if you want to get like Grant Cardone level wealth, I mean, how did Grant Cardone get to where he's at? It wasn't investing in real estate. It was sales. It was yeah. running a business. And that was my point. Yeah. And it, it, you know what's been interesting about that article, though? So if you looked at it yesterday, because I, I know because I had somebody hit me up on LinkedIn yesterday and was mm -hmm. like, man, you're causing quite the stir on bigger pockets. It's like, really? I haven't written for them in years. Then I went and saw that they'd like they'd resend it out in their newsletter. And I'm looking at the comments and I'm seeing all the pushback. People are like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, yada, 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 and all that stuff. Um, but what's interesting is that they don't have, they must have reset their comments because uh, they don't have the the historic comments. Because over the years, as that article gets republished and sent out to the Bigger Pockets newsletter and community or via the newsletter and sent out to their community, the tone has changed. It's been really interesting to watch. And so I told him, I was, I was like, yeah, just go read the historical comments. He's like, there are none. And I looked and I was like, oh, there are none. Mm -hmm. The comments from back in 2017 were all like, yeah, 100% agree. Like rentals are great, but you got to have a high paying job or you've got to be running the business in order to build really significant wealth that you then yeah. roll into rental real estate. And over time, as the market has heated up and as these like internet gurus have just like popped up everywhere, it's mm -hmm. turned into this like, you don't know what you're talking about. Rentals are amazing. But guys, like we have 700 real estate clients. They all have rental property. I can assure you there's, there's I think, one <laughs> out of the 700 that has built an incredible amount of wealth with rental real estate. We mm -hmm. have a lot of clients that have built an incredible amount of wealth with real estate, but not with rental real estate. They mm -hmm. invest in rental real estate, but that's not the primary income generating tool to, to build the wealth, to invest in real estate. So I don't know if I could publish the data, if I went to all of our clients and asked them for their permission to publish all of their income information, which they won't give me, I could prove this out to you. So what I'm saying, what I'm trying to say here is that you could, you can build massive wealth with rental real estate. But like you said, Mark, I just, I think it's really difficult to do. It just requires too much capital to really build it out. Whereas if you spent the same amount of time trying to scale a business, mm -hmm. the income stream, imagine trying to pour your heart and soul into scaling a wholesaling business or a real estate agent business over the span of 10, 15, 20 years, you're going to create an income stream. If you're good at it, you're going to create an income stream of half a million dollars. And mm -hmm. that is how you then roll into the rental real estate and build that massive wealth. Well, I mean, we've done it. We've done it. I totally agree with you. We were we stumbled across private money in probably 2010, accidentally. And we've been able to cultivate that side of our business a lot. Um, one of the girls that works for us, she's full-time money in, money out. That's what she does for her job. She has She's the investor relations person. And that has been obviously a game changer. I talk about it a lot. It's ever elusive. I get whenever I talk about it, you know, people say, hey, can you refer me to some of your private lenders? It's like, well, no, it doesn't work that way. The private for a reason, because we worked for them. And uh, but I understand that if you don't understand the concept, I get it. I'm not laughing at those people. I just it's like, OK, I have to explain it. So there is that. I mean, there are ways there are so many ways that you can make money in real estate without money. And. You know, a, a lot of folks think that you have to have money up front. You have to have a little bit, but not a lot. I mean, if you did, I wouldn't have gotten started. 
because I didn't have any. I had a hundred dollars and that was what I started with. And then I got a credit card. I don't know why I had lost all my credit cards. And I got a credit card in the mail for like 20. I don't believe in divine intervention. I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in any of that. It just happened for 2,500 bucks. And I used that and a little bit more money from my poor mother to flip that mobile home. But then after that, we learned about private money. And, you know, within two years, it took two years, but within two years, we were making money flipping houses with other people's money, zero dollars out of our pocket. And I know a lot of people cringe when people say that. I am not saying that that is easily repeatable. I'm not saying that anybody can do it because they can't. You have to be able to get out there and talk to people and have the guts. I almost said it. You have to have the guts to be able to make the ask without asking. It's like, you know, how do you say you're rich without saying you're rich? You know, it's you. There's a certain way to do it. And you, you get good at it over time. But for the most part, yes, you have to have a job. You have to be able to get money to buy your first house. And then eventually you might be able to figure out how to leverage and do things like that. But it takes time. It does take time. Long answer. So it kind of sounds like you took that mobile home park, you leveraged it, you leveraged the experience to start flipping houses on a more full-time basis that generated the income for you um, to start like investing in rental property. So like, we're, you know, if we fast forward to today, what is your primary activity you know, in 2021 at this point? Um, we're doing, I mean, we're not prolific flippers, but where we live, we make good money flipping in Southern California. So we do about one a month. Sometimes, sometimes we'll have two or three going at one time, four at one time. Um, we wholesale quite a bit. Uh, that's been, we were late to the party on that. I always thought it was a dirty business. And now I realize it's a viable business that, a lot of sellers need. They don't have any other way out of their house. Uh, a lot of the people that we buy houses from have been procrastinating for so long. If we hadn't come along, the house would have fallen down and they would have been left with nothing. Or, you know, it's not a noble cause by any stretch, but it certainly is something we we do serve a purpose. And now that I see that, we're embracing it. Um, so we do a few of those a month and probably we're bumping up that game. We're, we're spending a lot of time and effort cultivating new people. We have a boot camp that we do that teaches people how to find houses. And that's very helpful to build our business. And it's helpful to teach people how to start their own business. Um, we do some education and that's via the boot camp. Um, basically what we do is we don't teach people how to become rich off real estate. We teach people how to find houses. Because I think the end-all, be-all, end-all of real estate is finding properties. Um, it seems like disposing of properties is the easy part, but finding them is the hard part, figuring out the contracts and everything else. So that was what we got after 12 years. That's kind of what we boiled it down to. So our business, I've got uh, two guys full-time that do, well, actually uh, six guys full-time that do all on-market purchasing. And that is, uh, they buy houses on the MLS. And then we've got a group of right now 17 people that do cold calling, uh, door knocking and driving for dollars to find off market houses. And then we've got some other stuff we're getting ready to start. So we're, I'm spread really thin, but I'm having fun. 
It's interesting, you know, uh, kind of shifting gears just a tad, you know, yep. in, in the California market, we have a lot of clients who are actually based out of California um, for, you know, for whatever reason, there's a number of reasons, but uh, they often say that it's tough to find deals in California and you often see them investing out of state, you know, maybe in Nevada, Texas, or just, you know, anywhere, Florida, mm -hmm. you know, wherever. So I guess, how do you view the California market? Is it tough to be in in the real estate, doing wholesaling, flipping, et cetera, in California because the prices are so high? Everything's hard, man. Everything's hard. I don't care where you're at. Life is hard. Work is hard. Business is hard. I know you're not asking that. I'm not being sarcastic, but everything is so flipping hard. I'm so I'm doing so good without cussing today. I'm really doing well. Um, it's all what's inside your head and how hard you want to work. And I'm... I'm going to do some some cliche stuff here. The problem with most people is they see something and they go, wow, I can do that. And it doesn't happen in a week and they give up. You know, it takes my guys an average of four months to get their first deal. Four months. And that's working 30 hours plus a week. So that's why people in California aren't finding deals. And I would be happy to talk to anybody who says they can't find a deal because I have this kind of standing argument with a lot of people. That's eh, impossible. I've been looking, making offers. I know, but you're just not doing it right. And you're not working hard enough. It's the same way everywhere, though. Deals are really hard to come by everywhere right now. Yeah, you can cash flow a little better out of state. And, and I do look out of state. You know, I don't know why I did it, but I started investing in California and Hawaii. And probably the two toughest states to cash flow in. And you know, we do okay. If I invested in Oklahoma, if I invested the same amount of money in Oklahoma, my cash flow would be off the charts right now. I could easily retire. So California is a tough market for owning rentals if you're buying them right now, right? But if you're just looking for properties to flip, if you're looking for properties to wholesale, the other flippers, there's a lot of people that have a lot of money that are just looking to park their money in property right now. Um, you know, look at Open Door, look at Zillow. They're buying houses at value, right? They're buying houses at 100% of value right now, sometimes a little bit more because they want to build up their war chest of, of single family rentals. So there's no excuse for not making it anywhere other than the fact that you're not working hard enough and you're not applying yourself to the core principles of getting real estate, which is pick up the damn phone and dial it and do it again 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 and then get up in the morning and start again. That's it. It's as easy as that. Recipe for success is pick up the damn phone. You mentioned Open Door and they, uh, they're buying properties in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is where I live. But they, they buy like a single family home. They come in and they clean it. Really nice cleaning. And they mm -hmm. put it back on the market for like a $12,000 increase. <laughs> well, see, Open Door has a different concept. You know, you got your Black Rocks and some of these other mills that are buying houses to hold on to. Open Door... They make a very, very small profit margin, but they're making money on escrow. They're making a $12,000 kick on the purchase. They're also charging 5% when they buy your house. So it's incremental income and they're buying a lot of them. So they've got a lot of institutional money, which we all know isn't real money, right? Institutional money. Um, you guys know more about this than I do, but I mean, they've got a dollar they can loan five. So it's funny money and, and they know how to play the game. They made, they made friends with the right people. I'm not jealous of them. I'm just, it's, it's astounding. I love watching guys do stuff like that because it's like kind of cool, right? 
Yeah, no, it's it's definitely interesting all the different things that you see going on, all the different strategies there are out there. Yeah, I do. Since you know we are talking about you know how tough it is to find mm-hmm. deals in this particular market. Yes. You know, having gone through, say, you know, the recession of, you know, back in you know the late 2000s mm-hmm. and now, you know, many people think we're probably, you know, before COVID, before COVID-19 thought we we're pretty much towards the peak of this market and COVID kind of threw things for a loop with lower interest rates and people not spending their money. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you had the housing market go up in many places uh, significantly over the last you know year and a half or so. Where do you think we stand today in terms of the overall market? You know, I guess on a more macro level, and you know, I know it varies from from nation. From oh state yeah, state, uh, ma- we can go macro. Micro is too hard because <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen everywhere. I don't know, man. My stock answer is I don't have a crystal ball any more than anybody else does. But am I being a little more cautious right now? Sure. I mean, we're not doing full blown rehabs. We're doing prehabs. We're doing hotel, whatever whatever catchphrase you want to use. It seems like the prudent thing to do right now. It seems like the smart thing to do. But do I think we're going to crash hard? Eh, it depends. Here's what would be the catalyst for that, obviously. Interest rates go up and a lot of houses hit the market. So what does that really do? Um, statistics, I don't have at my elbow right now, but the rate of homeownership right now, people that own their houses outright, people that have more than you know 30 or 40% equity is pretty high. And I don't remember the numbers. You guys might know them offhand, but it's really, really high, 60, 70% or some crazy number like that. So do I think prices are going to drop? Yeah, I think they're going to level off and maybe drop. But do I think it's going to put a lot of people in trouble? Not as much as last time, for sure. And I think whatever happens is going to be much quieter. I think the banks are a little bit smarter this time. They'll parse them out to guys like me. They'll say, hey, Mark, you know, we know you've got, you know, some buying power, uh, probably not me. I'm not that guy, but there's guys out there that have a lot more buying power than me. And they'll go, Hey, look, do you want to take on this, you know, house or these houses? And they'll get swallowed up. They will get swallowed up. And I, I think a lot of the hedge funds that are cash heavy right now are going to continue to swallow up houses. Um, I see this weird, weird push towards a lot of single family rentals right now. You know, it's been going on for a few years, ever since the recession, and it's it's white hot right now. People are buying them up like crazy. Is it enough to change the market? Not unless they put them all back on the market, but I don't think they're going to. I really don't. So I see a correction in the future. I mean, it could happen tomorrow. It could happen in two years. But I don't see prices going the way they're going for much longer just because it's not sustainable, even though everybody says it is. And I also think that the housing shortage may be a little bit blown out of proportion. So the funny thing is, is when we when we hit 2007, we we had maximum amount of houses built in the United States. There was full tracks of houses that couldn't be sold at that time. We had built so many houses. If you look at a graph, we built so many houses. We were we were so far above our average for house building. And then it plummeted down in 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012. And it's made this really shaky climb back up. But I don't think we're as short of houses as everybody says we are. I just think people say stuff to keep things going. So my advice to everybody is don't take my word for it. Really go online and do some research. But don't go on YouTube and don't go on Instagram to find your information. Find people that are talking about this stuff that really know about it. Don't 
I mean, don't listen to a guy like me, right? I mean, I'm nobody. I'm no expert. I mean, I am, but in my mind, um, find out people that really know these numbers, these guys that crunch numbers that, that know this stuff and find out what they're saying. Look at their graphs, look at their charts, make your own conclusions. It's like when people vote for somebody because they like dogs. It's, it's the same thing. You know, you're, you're seeing somebody online that is like, I really like his opinion. You like his opinion because it fits what you want it to fit. So be careful with that. Be really, really careful. That's great advice. You definitely have to go and, you know, find the data, find good, reliable sources, mm. economists and publications that you can trust. And then you have to make your own decision because, you know, to your point, everybody's going to have their own opinion. They're going to look at their data, interpret yeah. it their own way. And just because they're interpreting it the way that favors your position doesn't mean that it's right. It's just what you want to hear. It could be wrong. And you know, now you're making your decisions based off information because it's you don't want, you may not want to hear no. the truth. I mean, it's like looking at your... It's like, well, okay, guys, this is a great example. I sometimes don't want to look at my books. <laughs> I really don't. It's like, I don't think I want to look at January. No, I think I'll wait till February when those checks come in January. It's going to make me feel bad. And I think people do the same thing. They don't want to see the truth because it's not convenient, doesn't fit their narrative. And the funny thing is, is if you look at, like, I'm a real estate agent too. And we make a little bit of money every year listing our flips and listing some houses for other people. If you talk to my real estate group of friends, things are going great. There's no chance in hell it's going to slow down because we got a shortage of houses. There's all these charts and graphs that prove that prices are going to keep going up, that the market can continue and everything else. And then you look at the doomsday guys and everything's pointing down, right? So everybody's got an agenda and it's whatever clickbait you decide to click on, you're going to get. So that's why you have to go to something else. You have to go to a different source. I mean, I, I, that's, that's the scary thing. Scary, confirmation bias. It's, it's exactly what it is. Confirmation bias. It's oh, confirmation well, bias. I like that. I'm gonna write yeah, that yeah. down. Yeah, yeah. You could see it actually in your own organization. You know, you 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 build a, a firm like we've built, and you've got to teach your employees how to not have confirmation bias because they everybody has confirmation bias. Everybody yeah. wants to be right. That's really the problem at the end of the day. Everybody wants to be right. And so, thinking about the power of that, if you, if you've told somebody just somebody, something, you are going to be way more behind that something, whatever that opinion was, than if you hadn't told anybody at all. And so what, what happens is people just start, they start going down a path, they start saying it, and they start believing it. And then they only, mm -hmm. they, they look for information that supports it. That's why you see polarizing politics these days too, because social media, I don't know if you've watched, uh, what is it? What is that Netflix, the social yes. dilemma? The social yeah. dilemma? Yeah, I did. Where they will literally feed you what you want to see to further your confirmation bias, which creates the polarity that we see today. But we see it in tax too, because we, we have clients that'll, or new clients that'll call us up and they'll say, I'm going to be a real estate professional. This is where we see it all the time. I'm going to be a real estate professional. It's like, no, you're not. You can't be a real estate professional. You don't meet the tests. I meet the tests. I went to this course or this group and they told me that <laughs> I meet the tests. And I'm like, well, we're telling you, you don't hear the rules. Then you got to fight them on it. And so you got to be really careful in, and this goes, it goes way beyond investing. It goes to like, I don't know, your family and, and different discussions that you have. And it just, you can see confirmation bias everywhere. So you just got to always try to, it's hard to like pull back and really ask, am I right here? Are my beliefs right here? What other information can I be looking at to get a gut check? Cognitive dissonance is what comes, you know, next to confirmation bias. Once you find that information that is wrong, 
um, you start to feel very uncomfortable with it. You start to second guess, you know, all your assumptions and everything. And I think people would rather live in a sea of a very comfortable confirmation mm-hmm. bias and face the cognitive dissonance that's actually going to help you maybe get to the actual oh, I, answer. I totally agree. People don't want to know the truth. They want to know their truth. And I mean, I think all of us that have half a brain have known that forever. It's so here's here's my opinion. I hope I'm wrong about a lot of things, but I have a funny feeling I'm not right. You know, I've lived long enough to know that, you know, when when stuff goes up like it's been going up, it's got to come down. Right. That's an uncomfortable truth for me. I hope I'm wrong about it coming down, but I suspect I'm right. And it's not because I'm an expert. It's because I've been around for a while. And most people like take our real estate salespeople. They want prices to keep going up. And rightly so. Car dealerships want prices to keep going up. Um, Construction people want the price of their services to go up. Everybody wants their stuff to go up. Makes sense, right? They make more money. Um, But it can't. Just can't do that. It's not sustainable. And so eventually it has to come down. Hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. And well, sooner or later, it, it, it will come down just a matter of when, right? Um, well, what do you guys, so, what do you know, you, I mean, I know you're interviewing me, but what do you guys think? Uh, my, my personal opinion on it is when they do raise interest rates, when the Fed raises interest rates, which they're going to have to eventually, yeah, just given what's going on with the economy in the broad scale of things, there's going to be probably some form of downward pressure on prices simply because you know, and mortgage rates are going to be higher. People are going to be able to buy less real estate. Therefore, there's going to be less demand probably. Um, and they're not going to be able to buy as much. So the price is going to come down. Now, that's my opinion. That's when you just look at the interest rates. Um, but you also have to take a look at supply too on any given market. And that's very micro. So someone I, I was reading recently, there's like two different cycles you have to watch out for real estate. There's the financial cycle. So the interest rates and all that. And then there's mm-hmm. the physical cycle, which is the actual demand for any given market and you know what is the supply coming on because what happens is when everything's fully absorbed the prices will start to go up right the rental mm-hmm. price the rental price will start to go up assuming there's the demand and then you have mm-hmm. people start building 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 all the supply then comes onto the market and it pushes the rental prices down because there's a lot of supply so basically what i'm trying to say is i think at the financial level there's going to be that increase in interest rates at some point over the next two or three years, if not sooner. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's going to put downward pressure on prices. Now what happens in each individual market is, you know, is too much to say in a macro level, but that's my that's my two cents. Yeah. No, I I, I would have to agree. I don't so have I a big opinion on this just because I, I don't know what to think. There's just so many different things that you can look at and draw conclusions based on. The Folks that I've spoken with about this, and, and it's been numerous, it seems like the general consensus is that there will be a softening in prices because, like you said, they just can't keep running up. Eventually, you're going to tap out people's ability to afford homes, mm-hmm. and, it, it, and that's going to happen at some point. I don't know when it's going to be, but jobs and income levels are not increasing as fast as housing prices are increasing. So at some point, there's going to be some sort of flattening there. But for me personally, I just I just look for good deals. I, I don't mm-hmm. I try uh I like to pay attention to local markets mm-hmm. um and then and then just look for uh, just keep a pulse on it, look for good deals. And I, I just got 
just got 10 duplexes under contract uh, with my parents. We're wow. partnering on this. Yeah. Uh, but I've been sitting on cash for three years, three, yeah, about three years, um, not participating because I kept going, man, it's going to, it's running up. It's running up so expensive. Can't find a good deal. I bought some good deals back in like 2015 and those spoiled me from a cash on cash perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I've been sitting around doing nothing. And, uh, and, and Tom and I've had multiple conversations about this where I'm like, I'm getting antsy. And I've been saying this for years, I'm getting antsy and this inflation's crushing me and you know, all that stuff. But now it's all of a sudden for me, literally within a week has paid off because I had the capital to go and acquire this, uh, this 10 duplex deal. And, you know, to your point, you don't actually need a ton of capital to get started in real estate, but I'm kind of, you know, I was like looking for those bigger deals, something bigger to take down and was just not having, I wasn't looking very hard. I should also say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I haven't been looking time. very hard, but, uh, yeah. but this one kind of fell in our laps and, and um, because I was sitting on the cash and just really, really patient, was able to go and tackle it. Yeah, I like that. That That's a smart way to buy. There's the shotgun approach, which a lot of people are taking right now, which is buy everything. And, you know, this one will cover that one. And, and you know, it's going to appreciate and the rents are going to go up. And there's, you know, going in like a surgeon and being careful. And I think there's somewhere in the middle is, is a good place to be. Yeah. And Look, I don't know anybody that's become very wealthy without taking chances. I really don't. But even what you just did is taking chances. It's yeah. still still a chance. Yeah. Uh, and in so, the uh, in the interest of full disclosure and, you know, cuz I like your personality on on Instagram being real with people, I sent out an email. If you're not on the the Tax Smart newsletter, it's a free newsletter we send out every Thursday. On the email that I sent out 2 weeks ago, I mm -hmm. told people about this three unit property that I have in Hickory, North Carolina. And I bought the mm -hmm. property for $91,000. Now it's worth like 260K. This, I bought it in 2015. Uh, and I've been blown away at this appreciation because Hickory, North Carolina is not a market that you would expect that level of appreciation. But, I, mm -hmm. but when I sent out the email, I was like, yeah, this is the only property I'm never going to talk about, you know, because I'm, I'm going to go start my Instagram channel and <laughs> do all that stuff. Not going to talk about my failures. But I did buy a three unit property in Baltimore, Maryland back with uh, uh, when my wife um, worked up at Under Armour and and we it was a three unit property. So we lived in one unit, rented out the other two. We lived rent free, uh, like the other two units paid for everything. But when I sold that, I sold that back in 2019. Yeah, 2019. Mm -hmm. I ended up losing $11,000. So this stuff is like, <laughs> this stuff's hard. It's not it's not yeah. super easy. And Mark, you're totally right. You got to, you can take shotgun approach. You can be super uh, precise or you can kind of be somewhere in between. And yeah, it's like a big learning, learning thing for me. So. Well, it's also, it, it is. And, you know, I've made money and lost money. I, I mean, I talk about, you know, I've probably lost roughly a million dollars since I started pretty much just money out of my pocket. And of course, thankfully, I've made more than that, but that's a big hit. But the fact that you went through that, you know, proves the point. And it doesn't really matter. Real estate is a volume game. And if people don't understand that, they probably shouldn't get into it because you're never going to have cash flow that's consistent with three houses. It's just not going to happen. And you can get some sense of consistency at about 20 doors, whether it's houses or houses and apartments or just apartments. But that's where it starts getting more consistent. Um, I've only got 43 
And that even has consistency issues at times. It's like, what, seriously? Three air conditioners this week? Seriously? Um, or what? We've gotten all the way through COVID. And now three people are claiming COVID? At the, now? What? So it, there's always going to be something. And that's why I don't rely on my rental income. Um, I will rely on my rental income when I when and if I retire. And I will probably quadruple my, my portfolio. Um, not probably, I will quadruple my portfolio, but I'm going to do it smart. I'm not going to do it stupid. That makes a ton of sense. So, you know, this has been a fantastic conversation. I know this is uh, another one of those interviews that's been, that went really well and has been, it's really exciting. And I, you know, we can't wait to release it out there to everybody, but you know, our listeners wanted to get, you know, you know, get in touch with you or learn more about what you have going on. What would be the best way for them to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, best way is through Instagram. Uh, we are pretty prolific on there and uh, we do respond to every DM and we actually make comment. We respond to every comment too. So uh, I'm at Mark McMahon Real Estate on Instagram and I believe I'm at Mark McMahon Real Estate on YouTube. And uh, those are the two best ways to get a hold of me. And uh, uh, you can see kind of what I'm about. And uh, if we're a good fit, follow me and I'll share what happens in my daily uh, daily outings with uh, real estate. And we've got a crew here of very young people that work with us. You guys are young, but my crew is younger. They're, they're all under 25. And uh, except for my wife and her assistant, they are all very young, very on fire, very savvy young people. And I'm very blessed to have them with me. I'm so lucky. Gosh, crazy, crazy what's happened since they've all come on. So. Absolutely. Got to have a great team behind you. So we're going to go ahead and drop that into the show notes for everybody who wants to follow Mark. I know I'm going to add him to my Instagram, uh, Taylor Brugna. He, one of our partners, he, he recommended it. So like I said, we're oh, going to put this out there. Very cool. Yeah. Tell, tell him I said, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, no guys, this was great. I enjoy it. Um, I wish we could have talked about taxes a little bit, but uh, you know, we'll have to do that another time. Next time. Next time. Yes. Yes, for sure. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.